0: to Cannabis is a Good Neighbor. Very excited here for our newest episode featuring banking, uh, and we have the wonderful institution here, GSA, or Lighthouse Biz Services, uh, in, in Massachusetts, talking to Tina Spraga. Yeah, welcome. Uh, tell us about GFA and, and Lighthouse Financial Biz.
1: Uh, good morning, Brian. Thanks so much for having us. I also want to introduce Melissa Miranda, who recently joined us a couple of months ago. She's our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer.
0: Welcome, Biz Melissa.
2: Is- Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: So, Lighthouse Biz Solutions, Brian, is a wholly owned subsidiary of GFA. Oftentimes, people get confused between the two entities. So, when a cannabis client does business with Lighthouse, we are the compliance and servicing arm. The deposits and loans are with GFA, Federal Credit Union. So just to try to, you know, create some clarity between the two organizations, we technically are one and the same. Um, Brian, we've been banking the cannabis industry since 2018. We were actually the first financial institution in Massachusetts to bank adult youth. And since that time, obviously, there are several other financial institutions in the state. I think Massachusetts has an enviable position in that cannabis operators actually have choices. We have clients in Oregon and Ohio and other states because we aren't restricted just to Massachusetts only. And we often hear from those applicants that they've been on a two-year waiting list for getting banking services from a compliant financial institution. So very, very fortunate in the state of Massachusetts to be able to have options. 10% of all financial institutions in the entire country will openly, publicly, compliantly bank cannabis. And so it's not like there's a branch on every corner to serve the industry.
0: That is fascinating. So I just learned something. So you, so banking is not restricted um, like interstate commerce is restricted. You can bank nationally. So that's a great... That is right there. That's news to me. Um, great to know. And, you know, the reason why that that's
1: important, obviously, is we're seeing the emergence of multi-state operators in our state. Uh, and we're seeing yes. now operators that are now forging into other states like New York, Connecticut, you know, our neighboring states that have gone legal for adult use and medicinal. So imagine if you are a multi-state operator, um, how nice and convenient is it to be able to tell your accounting folks and even yourself that you've got a single banking platform. So one concierge banker, single banking platform, the same rules and regulations the same practices and standards for all of your licensed operations not certain protocol in one state and different protocol in another
0: that is that is and full disclosure to our audience I do bank DFA with Tina um, and I know so I know you do related services as well you bank not only with license holders and that's an important distinction to that this banking relationship is with license holders in the cannabis space but also with those of us who sell picks and shovels as we call it right the, the, the service right. related industries
1: absolutely and you know the other thing that I would comment on is employees we have a lot of conversations with clients that later realize that Their employees are ancillary to their business. Um, They remember everything that we're doing is still illegal at the federal level. And so if I have a a licensed operation, whether it's cultivation or retail, delivery, any of the above, and you're working for me, Brian, then your paycheck is coming from an illegal, federally illegal activity. So when you go to get a mortgage at your non-cannabis friendly financial institution, the first question that lender is going to ask is, do you you really work? Oh, I work for XYZ cannabis company. Well, we can't count on fingers and toes anymore the number of employees that have been declined at other financial institutions because that non-cannabis friendly financial institution doesn't want to have anything to do with that money coming from a federally illegal, you know, to repay the loan, coming from a federally right. illegal activity. So we will help bank wow. employees
0: as well. So there you go, there's, there's, this resonates with me, Tina, and thank you for that. So Cannabis is a Good Neighbor is the theme of this podcast. And we started this podcast as a blog back in 2017 or 18, because we wanted as service providers in this industry we wanted somehow to get this message out to the public that that cannabis can provide benefits. And that is just an incredible story where an employer excuse me, a bank lending to someone, we wanna we wanna have institutional wealth or generational wealth. We want to build wealth amongst people employed in the cannabis industry, not have it be a completely illegal Piece. So banking is incredibly important, and if, so that you fill that role for employees who might be turned away for a loan on a on a house—that's incredibly important.
1: Yep, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow. And I think
1: if you speak to any cannabis operators, we've spoken to many. I think you know we've we've all we've all been impacted one way or another, whether you're you're a licensed operator and your personal accounts have been shut down because they realize you're in the business, Um, whether you're an employee, um, and even yourself, Brian, as an ancillary to the industry, uh, and even ourselves, um, you know, quick story, but when we were deciding whether or not we were going to bank the industry and doing our due diligence, we went to all of our major vendors that provided services to the credit union. And we asked them, we're like, if we're going to serve the industry, are you going to have a problem doing business with us? And we had a long-term relationship, like a 30-year relationship with a company, deeply entrenched into that partnership where they were doing a lot of back-end processing for us. And they basically said, yes, we're going to have an issue and we will be terminating our relationship with you. They gave us 30 days to unwind what normally would have taken six months. So we all feel the struggles of being a part of the industry right. and trying to operate in, you know, under this we've got this dichotomy between federal and state laws. State law says it's legal, federal law says it's illegal, and, we, and, and that dichotomy creates these challenges.
0: That is, a, mine is a similar story, and that is how we met. We as architects, you think, okay, that's a pretty standard, you know, industry design profession, right? We had a 26 year relationship with a bank and we applied for a normal for a service provider a, a um, credit line, so an increased credit line is a is a, is a banking tool that are, that many businesses use to help balance you know accounts receivable and invoicing. And as soon as we did, they said, "Well, show us your you know please disclose your financials like anybody going for a loan would have to do." And when they saw the amount of bank the amount of uh, income that we had that was generated by the cannabis industry, they gave us the same thirty days to go find a new mm-hmm. bank.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but they love So you. these
0: stories abound. What's that? But they love you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we love you, but go away. Um, it's very, very mixed message, right? <laughs> um, right. And disappointing. So, um, yeah, these stories abound. And and um, we hear them over and over again. Of, of um, And it, it, it leads to you know it's just a difficulty nationally in the industry that it, it, it creates it bumpy Melissa I said before the call started I said Melissa hey you''re you're, you're a month into this now with 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 Tina at, at GFA. I said hang on it's a bumpy ride it's like being in a in a uh, in a raft on a whitewater river mm-hmm. um, because of the start and stop and start and stop hurry up and wait is sort of the uh, is a very common industry malaise right where customers will, you know, get ready to open up a facility and then, or get ready to start, you know, the development process of the facility and then hit roadblocks, right? And then try again and then hit roadblocks and then try again and hit another roadblock. And it's that constant uh, one step forward, two steps back, or that um, I think we're all feeling as an industry. I think you
1: couldn't have so said it any better, Brian. Ryan. Couldn't have said it any better, and we hear from our clients and our applicants. Um, often you know it's the same it's the same story it's the hurry up and wait um, and the unknown Uh, you know and we often talk to applicants about the you know the application process and how cumbersome that is and and time-consuming and certainly anyone entering the cannabis industry it's I mean it's not for the faint of heart Um, you know when we first started banking the industry we were kind of surprised because people were coming to us and getting their accounts opened before they were getting their licenses um, because we think of banking as the low-hanging fruit. Get your accounts opened before your accounts are shut down um, elsewhere. And so, you know, early on we would open these accounts and then I guess not really having a thorough understanding of the application process, you know, a month later we were like, well, we're where's their revenue coming, you know, when is their revenue coming in? Um, Three months later, when is their revenue coming in? And then all of a sudden we realized revenue, while expenses were being paid, revenue probably wasn't coming in for 12 to 18 months because it takes that long for the application process and going through that whole hurry up and wait scenario.
0: Brings up an interesting point when it comes to real estate, right? Much of what in what what the cannabis industry needs early on in the process, after a banking relationship, is they need real estate in order to operate. They need some kind of real estate, whether that's a new build. Um, very few have the opportunity to to do a new build, so many times, in, especially in retail, it's a renovation. Now, knowing that the license for that uh, to operate could be a year or two off. That puts cannabis enterprises in a difficult situation when it comes to real estate. How do you secure real estate with a landlord in a lease situation if you're one or two years out? And That has put put many people out of business, waiting around for for licensing in a a tumultuous environment, regulatory, uh, and trying to stay solvent, having to pay rent every month. And the flip side to
1: that, Brian, is that if you're not leasing, then you're owning. And how does one secure a traditional loan, commercial real estate loan, for property that is not producing any revenue for the foreseeable future? So going into this, obviously, there's got to be a lot of capital Um, Whether it's their own capital or investor capital. Um, You know, there's, like you said, you know, you're paying a lease for a retail location or cultivation, and you're possibly paying that lease for 12 to 18 months before you open the, the doors for business and start producing any revenue. Um, You look at the, you know, it's kind of interesting. We lend to the cannabis industry, but we have to do it very delicately because, one, cannabis is still considered a high-risk business. Um, And, two, again, going back to that federal illegality. So if you were starting up a brand-new venture, Brian, um, say a restaurant, something that was legal at the federal level. So you'd put your business plan together, you'd bring that business plan to your commercial lender. Commercial lender would look at the viability, although there's no cash flow to demonstrate. They're gonna look at the pro Um, They're gonna look at the value of the collateral. They're gonna look at your experience. And because it's a brand new startup, they might say, well, you know, we don't want to accept all of this risk, so we're gonna go and see if we can get an SBA loan guarantee, right? right. So the Small Business Administration says, well, give that loan to Brian. He's a good risk um, and we'll cover 50% of it if there's any 50%, 70%, whatever, if there's any loss. There is no SBA guarantee for cannabis operators. And so someone that is looking for a traditional commercial loan that has yet to produce any revenue is going to reach another roadblock unless there is some way to substantiate the ability to repay that loan because there's no guarantee that that license is even going to come through. So we have a lot of roadblocks that we have to get past to get to that revenue producing stage for sure.
0: Tia, this is fascinating. You mentioned risk. Risk is something that uh, every that is apparent in the way you described it from a banking relationship, right? It's about mitigating risk. How would a traditional small business uh, mitigate risk? There are governmental agencies like the small business administration might step in. In the cannabis world, those don't exist. So how does a cannabis operator mitigate risk? And from a lender, clearly, um, operational history would be one, Mitigating factor, right? How do you get operational history? Right? How do you start up? How do you break into a new industry? You can't, maybe all of your experience is in the illicit market. I, I look right. at New York State. New York State is consuming an enormous amount of cannabis today. And that's due to a, just a robust legacy market. So the legal market moving in, the law is now coming into existence in, in New York. Is a whole industry, in fact, working against and trying to replace and supplant that illicit market. But the risk for those, uh, for the lenders, is the same. How does that? How does that entity uh, show viability? So there are milestones in any development process, and at each, each milestone, each successive milestone that an, enti- and an entity achieves, the risk is decreased. Right, all the way right up to operational, Right. So once you becoming operational. Oh, you're a great candidate for, for lending now because you're licensed, you're in operation, you've got employees, you get payroll, and after two eighty e, presumably there's some earnings after after tax. But how does you know banking? It sounds like there are small steps that the bank can play to help at those intermediate milestones. Are there, or do you have, to, or how do you look at risk when you look when you meet a new customer? So
1: I, I think that you know the question goes. In two different ways. Um, there's the general banking, right, and then there's the lending. So, since we're talking about lending, let's let's finish that conversation first, if you don't mind. But from a from a sure. perspective, you hit the nail right on the head. You know, someone comes to you; they've got no cash flow to support the repayment of of the debt. They have pro formas, and right now, being such a nascent industry, um, you know, the pro forma. <laughs> Uh, You know, we actually have to discount the pro forma because, you know, a year ago a a cannabis applicant probably came to us and said, well, you know, I'm going to get into cultivation and I need X millions of dollars and part of it's going to be through raising investment money and then I'm looking for a loan for the other part of it and I'm going to be able to produce so many pounds of flour um, per year And those so many pounds at $5,000 a pound is going to generate X millions of dollars in revenue. And after all of my taxes and 280E and expenses, you know, my net income to cover this debt is going to be X. Well, look at what the price per pound has come down to. So when we look at a pro forma, that is is a guesstimate, right? So we have to be realistic and say, well, what happens? When, not if, but what happens when the price per, per pound comes down? If you're not even licensed yet and you've seen this decline in, in um, you know the price of, of, of product, um, then your pro yep. forma shot right out the window and all this and it doesn't take much to have your debt service coverage ratios go out of whack. So risk mitigators are personal guarantees of right. the borrowers
0: yep.
1: as an abundance of caution, other collateral, if it exists. And then, you know, shocking the heck out of those proformas to put our own um, declines in volume, increases in expenses. I mean, look at the, the cost of utility. So, you know, if your proforma was built is right. a year ago, right? So you've right. got your price for products coming down, you've got your overhead costs going up. Utilities aren't insignificant for a cultivator. Um, so we have to do a lot heavier, of talking right. and, and we have to be very, very prudent in, the, in our approach because at the end of the day, you know, we can't be a partner to the cannabis industry. We can be the lender and we can be the banking right. partner, uh, but we can't be the,
0: the investor, partner,
1: so right. to speak, the business partner. And then right. the other thing obviously is if you're doing You know if you're looking to borrow money for a cannabis legal operation you know whatever you need for total dollars we want we need more than just sweat equity in the game so if you're buying commercial real estate we want to see that you've got the other if we're giving you a 60% loan to value we want to be on the tail end and know that you've got the 40% to invest up front On the banking side of things, obviously, there is the responsibility that we know our customer. And that means that, you know, we've got to satisfy a whole host of regulations, starting with KYC. So who are the beneficial owners of the business? Where is the money coming from to invest in the business? When you look at serving a high-risk business, you look at... What are the responsibilities to the financial institution? And the burden and the only real guidance that the financial institution has is to look at the FinCEN guidelines and to look at the Cole Memo. And even though the Cole Memo was rescinded, uh, the spirit of it still exists. So when you look at that Cole Memo, when you look at the FinCEN guidelines, The burden is on the financial institution to make sure that they're not engaging or allowing any money laundering to occur. Cannabis is a high-risk business. Cannabis is a cash-intensive business. And any regulator is going to look at that industry and say they are prime targets for money laundering activities. And so the burden is on the financial institution to make sure that no money coming into the institution or leaving the institution is going to gangs, cartels or any, any type of money laundering activities. So when applicants come to a financial institution and wonder why they can't just walk into a branch and open up an account and instead there's a, I'm not gonna say arduous, but a more lengthy application process, these are the reasons why.
0: That, this is, I use the term sort of, you know, lock elbows here as an industry to sort of help us to not combat but but carve out a place for the legal side of the industry to exist understanding that there is a very long history of a robust illicit market uh, it's to help applicants who are you know investing into this and understand what it takes to do it the right way uh, i know that that's a requirement of us uh, imposed that we follow to the bank with you as well, right? Is that we make sure as an architect, I'm making sure that every customer that I do business with is either already licensed or that the services that I'm providing are in pursuit of a license, right? That it's because many times as an architect, I'm getting involved with a company or an enterprise who is to get into a competitive state and that requires applications. So in that case, uh, they're not penalized for being an applicant. It's just clear that they're actually going for the state license.
1: Right. And and you know, Brian, just as you need to be concerned, I think, you know, to anyone listening today that has investors, the investors also want to make sure that the money that when they're getting paid back for their investment or receiving dividends or whatever, that they're going to need to make sure that that money is compliant money, right? That it's that's right. for lack of a right. better term, clean money. And investors right. will often have their accounts shut down when they try to redeposit deposit those funds that are coming from a cannabis company. So it behooves all of us to work together and, but, to make sure that we are transparent and that we're compliant because it is a whole ecosystem. And when one of us yeah. falls,
0: we are fall together. And let's be clear, investor is a very fancy term, but in many times it's friends and family, right? So in order to kick off the ground, people are turning to friends and family as that quote unquote investor. And investor is not any longer in the cannabis space, just some, you know, Wall Street type or some investment bank no, or, or, or venture capitalist. It's usually friends and family. And so we want to be very conscious that we're not putting anybody at risk, you know, in terms of Absolutely. investors.
1: Absolutely, well said where there are far-reaching tentacles.
0: There's new markets opening up all over the state. Mississippi, I know, is brand new state as of February. Uh, Alabama actually passed a law back in 21. They're coming online and here in September. They have an applications, uh, openings for September. New York State uh, has now in like two or three rounds of different application opportunities in New York State. New Jersey, we've seen with multiple apps. Given the fact that I think what I'm hearing on this conversation, too, doesn't, in terms of banking, these different states and these different opportunities don't provide new hurdles. They're, the, they're from a banking perspective, they're the same hurdles in every state, right? Because you're able yeah. to, to, to work across states. Do you see different, in different states, um, despite the federal regulations? So,
1: you know, the burden is on us to understand how that state, that applicants, what their regulatory oversight is so if we look at this the massachusetts cannabis control commission we understand their their licensing process intimately we understand that there's periodic inspections we understand that they're using seat to sale tracking um right and right. so before we go into another state we want to be intimately aware of that state's respective cannabis control commission. So what types of licenses licenses are they going to allow? How often do the licenses renew? Are there going to be inspections? Is the state going to use seed to sale tracking? Seed to sale tracking is like metric or bio track is extremely yep. important to a financial institution. And I'll just digress for a second and and explain why, because I think it's important to know. So the burden is on the financial institution to make sure that their account holder is not bringing in any illicit funds. So if I am selling cannabis, I can either sell it in the black market or I can sell it in the legal market. How we ascertain that the money that's coming to us is coming from the legal market and therefore not illicit funds is by looking at the client's metric report, which shows how much product they sold, and comparing that to the deposits that came into the financial institution, in our case, into GFA. So that, from our perspective, that metric reporting, seed-to-sale tracking, is extremely important in helping us ensure that we're operating in a compliant fashion as well. Other than that, um, so once we've become familiar with those state regulations, um, you know, then then it's a matter of, you know, geography doesn't matter, right? Because who goes into their bank branch today anyways, even for the simplest of transactions? So all of their clients, all of our clients, regardless of where they're located, are using electronic banking channels. They've got their concierge banker. And if it's cash, if they're retailer and they're accepting cash, we have a solution for the secure, appropriate, compliant transportation of cash from their dispensary to to the endpoint. So should not matter where the financial institution is. What really matters is your financial institution compliance
0: fascinating yes it, it talks to it talks to the multiple levels on which a bank operates right it's not it's banking is is different from lending right banking is partnership it's it's compliance it's operational and lending is is, is risk based right lending is you, know, you get lending from multiple right. different sources but banking is, is sort of an operational piece and that your operations, your compliance and operations directly affect that ability to continue that relationship. So, tracking is, I know from a from a from a facility design perspective, also incredibly important, right? We place cameras over every location where a scale occurs, right? And every time there's a scale, there's a change of in process, right? So you have very big, you know, bales or very large quantities of biomass that get extracted down. And there's a scale that helps to measure that and where the, all that information from seat to sale is entering into so each of these reductions in volume is associated with the, with a potential increase in value uh, but doesn't lose that RFID chip, doesn't lose that identification so that it can be tracked. Um, so there's a facility design uh, impact or facilitation that the facilities help to the customers or the enterprises to facilitate that, that compliance. Everything from scales to weighing me. stations.
1: And that directly allows us to offer compliant banking solutions because, again, if we go back to, you know, no illicit funds can enter the financial institution. If I am a licensed operator and I don't have that surveillance and I don't have, you know, and there are ways for my employees to take product out of my cultivation facility, um, then that helps none of us. And so in the big scheme of things, you help us offer compliant banking by providing clients with the appropriate security, surveillance systems, which is also a requirement of the CCC. So we're really all intertwined here. And in reality, we all depend on people like yourselves, Brian, and the Cannabis Control Commission and other can- Cannabis Control Commissions outside of Massachusetts to make sure right. that we, you know, we're all working in the right direction. I will I will tell you this, I've been in banking for, for many, many decades, more than I will tell you, and never, <laughs> never have I had uh, such an exciting and challenging opportunity as this has been for us. And I think Melissa and her short months has learned that there's never a dull moment here as we try to fine-tune and and expand and do
2: more and do better. No, and I'm going to interject here then sitting quietly on the sidelines, but in my short two months, it appears that this banking relationship to me, I feel, is probably one of the most important critical choices uh, someone in the business can make. And not just dependent upon what the fee is, but what does that partnership look like? Because we really are a critical partner in making sure that not only are we being compliant, but also are you being compliant in helping you protect that license that you have. You certainly don't want to run afoul foul of your license and run the risk of having it pulled because you've made right. an important misstep. So we really are a critical partners. So when you're making that decision, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it than meets the eye. And it's not just on what is that fee.
0: Right, uh, thank you. And you re- remind me too that, you know, the choice of what type of entity you're going to form, right, from coming from a CPA is important, right? Having an attorney present to advise on that, you know, an LLC or an Inc or an S Corp or a C Corp, all of those things have on the accounting side, have they have these kinds of deep resonances within the success, the future success of a business.
1: You know, Brian, I, I'm going to say, you know, we, we talk to a lot of applicants that are in various stages of getting their cannabis license, and I think you said something that's extremely important, and we tell our clients all the time. You want to... Partner, so when you're looking for a CPA firm, when you're looking for an insurance, when you're looking for a design firm, banking, attorney, when you're building out your ecosystem, you really want to go and find those that are committed to the cannabis industry and understand it. Often, I will be talking to an applicant and I will ask them, "Who's your C- do you have a CPA? Do you have an attorney? And sometimes we'll get the answer, um, oh, you know, I'm going to use the CPA firm that's been doing our family taxes for years. Or I'm going to use the attorney that did my estate planning. I always will pause and say nothing against that CPA or that attorney, but you need someone that understands the industry. Same with, you know, design-build firm. You need someone that's going to understand the cannabis control requirements, you need someone that's going to understand how to do banking in a compliant fashion. It might cost you more in the end than using the local talent or the people that have been you know, serving the family or whatever. But in the end, and this is not to say anything against any of the other businesses, but in the end, you're going to pay for it. By not going with someone that understands the nuances of the industry. And that's so extremely important. You're gonna get things done more efficiently, quicker, and in the end,
0: at, at less of a cost. It's what we call a false equivalency, right? To say, oh, it's gonna cost more than your local vendor who's provided this for you in the past is, is a false equivalency. Because what the cannabis entrepreneur learns quickly is that you have to look at all of your costs collectively against time. Costs against time, so a slight increase in one or two of those line items, right? When those line items don't skip like a needle on a record, you know, when they don't skip and they repeat, 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 repeat because of mistakes or because of not knowing compliance, right? that can cost time. And when you look back at the entire total development cost, that TDC number, that total development cost number, a few more dollars on one or two of those line items would have been well worth it, right? So to say that one banker costs more because they charge higher fees than another bank has to be seen in the context of what is the enterprise we're in here? What is what is what matters? Well, said. Wow. Well, this has been great. Melissa, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the industry. I'm um, glad to have you part of the, the GFA family and meet you um, and have you part of this podcast. Tina, it's a pleasure. Um, this, I've, I've learned I've learned some, uh, some good information here today, and I think this will be a fantastic part of our series on cannabis as a good neighbor, um, just to hear those stories that, you know, how how it actually works, right, and what's the importance of each of these pieces and why it matters. Uh, And I think for those who listen to this podcast uh, who are not necessarily yet in the industry or might be looking at the industry from the outside, it's really important to hear those stories from folks like yourselves, um, you know, at these various intersections of traditional commerce and new business, new cannabis business. Those stories are really interesting to hear. So I appreciate your time today.
1: Oh, Brian, it's been our pleasure. We really appreciate the opportunity and we love you providing education. and. You know, I'm all about the why. So I think if we understand the yeah. why, why is everything so complex? Why does why do things cost more? Why can't right. I get a loan? I think, you know, <laughs> when we understand the why then it makes it easier to understand how. Awesome. Thank you so much for you, you. you. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>